Hello and welcome to this month's Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer at the charity Level Playing Field. For people who might be listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. This podcast will bring a variety of voices from the sporting community to discuss disability subject matters in regards to attending live sport. And this month we are turning our attention to travel, be it our home game or away game, a majority of disabled sports fans will have a story to tell. Disabled people travel up to a third less than non-disabled people, according to the Disability Charity Scope. This, of course, is having an impact to social activities like attending live sport. In this episode, we speak to Manchester United supporter Nathaniel Yates, who is campaigning for better step-free access for Greater Manchester's rail stations. From trains to buses, we speak to the Vice Chair of the Jumblance Trust, Richard Field. But we start with former Disability Access Officer for Swansea City and Swansea City superfan Mark Phillips and MK Don supporting Joe and Jeff Neal. Uh, so, so, Joe, you are a person who attends home games at MK Dons, and I believe before COVID you were an avid away supporter. Can you just tell me about your experiences of going to home and away games? Going to home games is easy because I drive front half down the road. I get there early, get into the car park, no problem. And equally going to away games, I still drive the fa- same five miles to the stadium and. Up to Kobe, there was always an accessible minibus for us. So I just got on the van, got climbed down in my chair in the bus. For you, Joe, how important was it, though, that, that you could be on a bus with your fellow supporters and, and talk all kind of things of MK Dons and what's going on? Well, I think we did 10 seasons on the minibus with just a small group of us. And we really were very much like a football family because you've done all the denials over all those years, had all those stories, all those incidents together. That's what really binds you together. More or less the same driver for every match. And then one season we went on the main coach and certainly you got a wider perspective going on the main coach, and I also think it was quite an eye-opener to the, the other fans on that coach that suddenly they couldn't immediately go off after the match because clamping down wheelchairs takes a long time and you can't go on until I'm clamped down. And did you find that the supporters understood that and appreciated that? Yes, they, they've always been brilliant. I remember Jeff coming out to the services once in the dark and he was heading the wrong way because he couldn't see where he was going and it was shouting, so Jeff over here. And as Jeff said, when he got over there, he didn't know these people, but obviously they knew him and we always feel that they, they will look after us. They always said the coach can't pass. By the ground, as always, are you two okay? They really look after us. So, Mark, I mean, this might sound like a very silly question, but 
How important is it that disabled supporters can travel with non-disabled supporters if they want to? I think it's massive. Joe alluded to it there perfectly. It's all about like that experience. Last night is a good example. The game with Swansea City was on Sky. Obviously, it was a home game. And I went there and I thought to myself, why have I bothered to leave my house to potentially get drenched to go and watch a game? Especially after, what was it, 58 seconds when we conceded? You're sort of questioning your life choices then. But it's all about that whole experience, whether it's home or away. I think away travel, because it's almost like an expedition for disabled sports sometimes when you're going away. So it feels like you're part of like Lord of the Rings or something. You're all going <laughs> off on a journey. But it does. It galvanizes you with your supporters. You feel more ingrained in the football club and just with it, with your fellow supporters. I think it's really important for them to obviously see as well that disabled people have the same sort of experiences as them and have the same sort of desires as a supporter to go and follow your team home and away. And it's not always a straightforward of, oh yeah, I can get on any bus or I can get on any route. It's always you've got to think of the plan A and plan B and sometimes plan C. Mark, in a former life, you were the DLO at Swansea City Football Club. You were there for quite a long time. So I think this question is quite good for you. And it'd be interesting, I think, for the listeners to know, how difficult is it for a club to source an accessible transport for disabled supporters? It is really difficult. Um, and I will say it's it's almost a catch-22 for a football club. So just to go back and discuss a bit about what used to happen at Swansea City. Pre-COVID, obviously, we had the Travel Club there, who, in all fairness, then were fantastic when uh, when I was going away. They were really useful um, in terms of helping with a chair and all that sort of stuff. They did have an accessible one with a, uh, a bus with a lift on it, but that would frequently break down. But also I found, we touched on it earlier, that some supporters would question, why are we on this bus? Because it's less comfortable than the other buses, but that's the accessible bus. So that's always a bit of a tough one. And I feel as if it's tough for providers when they're thinking about putting a bus on because the allocation at grounds varies so much. So you can't say we're going to have X amount of wheelchair users go into this away day. And you also have to factor in the other issues like uh, the distance as well. Obviously, with Swansea, where I feel like we're the last stop on the road for most football uh, clubs. So for us, if we're traveling away, it's always a bit of a trek. So say for a midweek game, you're not necessarily going to have the massive uptake for particularly wheelchair users maybe to go on a Wednesday or Tuesday night, especially if it's a fair distance. And I was having to think about this last night about how my perception of disabled people of football completely changed when I joined the football club because I stopped thinking of disabled people as the person in the wheelchair all the time, which is something you can easily fall into when you think of facilities you're trying to introduce. The uptake for ambulance supporters to go away, for example, and provisions for them when, when you're going on the bus or when you're traveling to away grounds is really important. So I feel like the information front end from clubs is really important. Get that understanding of why disabled supporters want to travel away, what little things we can do to make that slightly easier. You know, we're not going to change it overnight, but small processing. I have to say, I think Mark's going to start getting complaint letters from people from Plymouth and Carlisle complaining about the last stop comment you just made there. Mark. Um, Joe, Mark's kind of touched on it there, uh, but uh, we, we've heard from fans who sadly, who are going to away games on team club buses and they've had issues 
whereabouts the, the driver just hasn't stopped in the right position or they've been moved on by the police and, and so forth has that happened to you and how have you got around it but also how important is it that fans do feed back to their clubs or dsas or the sport or, or, or supported groups to make sure that that people are aware because let's face it disabled supporters sometimes will sit in their own stew and and just accept it as, as part of the course I think this is the tension between do we go in a separate minibus and a minibus will often be more able to park close to the entrance or do you want to be on the main coach and then have to trek across Drew Cabbage Ways in the dark, across car parts with puddles that you can't see and I think that trek then is not just about wheelchair users but like Jeff can't see at all in the dark and we had a nightmare was on the car park headlights coming straight at us ideal for invoking epileptic seizures it was horrible if we'd had the mini was it picks us up at the door, but then you, you're in danger of being the disabled folk tagged on the end. It's a special book. It's almost like principles versus practicality at times on which one wins out. What was your other half of this question then? I'm just talking and I don't know what I'm answering. <laughs> it was more about feeding back to the club because I, I think you're right. Oh, yes. Because... I'm- how could Nate, who always writes a complaint letter before I leave, forget that bit? Yes, if you are not happy with the service you will receive, let people know. Write to the club, let level playing people know. Simply because if you don't, it will never ch- change. End of. I'm also contractually obliged to say also positive information. Please provide positive information as well, because it is important. I mean, I joke about it, Mark, but it is, isn't it? Like, it, Usually if, if a fan's getting, getting in contact, usually it's negative. So for a fan to get in contact saying, this was amazing, this really worked. And I suppose also feedback for you hosting another club on, on how maybe a club that you visited did really well. You take that and you go, actually, we can incorporate that when Club X comes to, to Liberty. Or the Swansea.com stadium. That's, I, that's I, I, was, that, like, I was just yeah, thinking, yeah, like, has that changed now? And then I was like, yeah, it's definitely changed. Yeah, it? yeah. It's uh, officially changed to the .com. I will say, feeding back the clubs is so important. It's something that I took real pride in, obviously, in the role. If anything, I used to sort of joke around saying, I quite enjoy when we get complaints, in a way, because it actually means that it gets people in the club actually thinking more proactive along the lines of, okay, how are we going to do better the next time? Ideally, we would want to go through a season without getting any complaints, but we know every club knows they're not perfect. And as you say, I also like the positive stories that come out of it. I have to say, I did exactly what you'd said about feeding back to a club. Well done, you've improved it since I was last there. And they came back and said, yes, you know why we improved it? Because I read your review on Level Playing Field and thought, oh, I've got to do something about this. 
Mark, how much dialogue goes on between the home club and the away club when it comes to home and away travel? I mean, what information do clubs provide each other to make sure that fans, disabled fans, match day and travel experience it goes as smoothly as possible? Certainly, when when I was the Dispozacks officer at the Swans, we we did used to have quite a bit of dialogue back and forth pre-games. I used to annoy a lot of the DLOs and other football clubs and send out what I like to call access information form. So I wanted them to just give me a snapshot about the various disabilities that were attending. Some clubs were better at giving that information than others, just because they they knew it. They could drill down and say, okay, we've got X number who are visually impaired or X, but a lot of the clubs will have, it will just be ambulant and wheelchair space. And that's all we get to know. But I'll give you an example. Manchester City, when we were in the Premier League, remember those days, um, <laughs> it was really interesting because they used to give me a load of information about specific supporters. So I made a point when we played them a couple of times just to go and meet the supporters as they were coming off the bus and just say, like, I'm sorting this, that, and the other for you. There was a gentleman, I think he was in his 90s, used to go home and away and to Europe with Man City. And they were like, he's fine, but he might get a bit cold and stuff. Can you make sure that you look after him? So I remember briefing our stewards before he got there and I was like, right, we'll make sure we've got extra blankets for him just in case he hasn't got any. And we just make sure, give him a nice Welsh warm welcome. So yeah, it is really important. Communication always is. Jeff, this is going to come to you just because of what Joe said earlier. I mean, a, a colleague of mine at Level Playing for conducted a think tank where a few of the partially sighted supporters said that they would be reluctant to travel for evening matches because they can't guarantee the route of the stadium will be well lit enough. And And you spoke well. Joe spoke on your behalf about uh, having uh, issues with the dark. When when we talk about accessibility travel, do you think that we do just solely focus too much on wheelchair users and people who might have sight issues or even supporters who might be dyspraxic and have um, balance issues? Do you think that more needs to be done to kind of focus on, on that side of disability? It can be difficult can be very difficult. I'm, I'm an experienced, I've, I've been visually impaired since I was uh, four, and I'm now the other side of 50. So I'm pretty experienced as a visually impaired person, and I'm very experienced at using, uh, using a long cane. You'd be surprised how, quick, how, how quickly and uh, how well Joe and I can get around between us with uh, Joe giving me directions and, and, me, making the, and me making the space uh, if we're trying to get through a crowd. It can be very difficult, particularly in a place that you don't know. And there's no substitute for um, experience, but equally, the communication between the clubs at box office to box office level is fine. But if that's as far as it goes, I'd suggest it's next to useless. The people who need to know are the people who are meeting the, the visiting fans, particularly maybe the, 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 the steward is the first to, to greet the transport on the, on, on the car park. Do you think that bus drivers need to be trained regarding disability? And I, I mean this in the sense of understanding that need additional bathroom breaks in, in, because some supporters might need that. Also, not to be put under pressure by the non-disabled fans who, who are on the bus who may just want to get home and want to skip the, that, that service station. We've been on a coach where they said, you want to stop, let us know. And that, I think, is something that is very difficult because if you're saying, can you stop, you're then seen as a problem. You're the person preventing everyone getting home as early as possible. I don't think 
it should be stopped so for you to be requested. I think all that should be sorted out beforehand. I'm not saying if someone's got a particular crisis that's unexpected, that they can't, can't go forward and say to the driver, can we stop? Although I did experience that once, and there was a lot of mutterings about. You got the, they're putting it on, they're not genuine, what's this about? That person had a really negative response. There was lots of mutterings on the bus, which I found very uncomfortable. Mark, how do we go about educating non-disabled supporters then about someone might need a bathroom someone might need to get out and stretch their leg it's almost a bit backward and coming forward but we almost need to say to disabled people right you have to try and get yourselves out there get and, and start going to away games more because the more people see the challenges the more they will self-police it and say hang on a bit we're going to stop similar to joe and jeff i you know i've been on a bus where i think we might have gone away somewhere we might have had a bit of a hammer in and everybody's in the low low beat mood and everybody just wants to get home um and they're all like oh we're not stopping we're not stopping now i'd be quite confident saying if i needed to stop we're stopping but i'm i know that not everybody has that luxury and it is very it creates that very much us and them mentality so again i feel like we almost need to educate supporters throughout the season not just on when we're going on away trips maybe again it's about integration this is where uh you know we mentioned it earlier you're almost trying to decide whether it's better to have a specific minibus that could get you that flexibility in terms of getting at the ground and parking, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you want to have everybody mixed on the one bus? So all your supporters and you're integrating that in. It is a tough balance. I'm not sure where I stand on it because I'm very much, when I was the DAO, I didn't want to have sort of disabled specific areas or disabled specific things. I wanted it to be all inclusive. Now I know, and from what Joe and Jeff are saying, that probably if I was there now, I'd start thinking, or oh, maybe having having a separate minibus would be a good idea. One of the things as a disabled person I noticed is we almost seem to be thankful for the privileges. We, and nobody saw me do the air quotes, but I did air quotes. Um, privileges we get as disabled people. So we're so worried that those privileges will be taken away that we're sometimes afraid to challenge things. And afraid to say, hang on, this isn't quite right. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone sometimes if in a situation where I feel like, oh, actually, I've got a good thing here. Uh, do I want to rock the boat and potentially lose this this thing I'm enjoying? What I would say, again, it goes back to having more disabled people involved in football clubs, involved in, in you know, whatever sort of sport you're involved in. So whether it's having a disabled sporters association or representation within the club and having having people working in football with varying disabilities and i'm not just talking about uh wheelchair users either i'm going to go back and say that it needs to be like the full spectrum of of disabilities really so i'm asking this question to to everyone on this episode so on a scale of one to ten one being bad and ten being good how do you rate the british public transport system when it comes to ease of access for disabled people because uh, <laughs> no one can see everyone literally pulled a face when I asked that question Jeff and Joe I'll come to you first are negative numbers allowed? yeah <laughs> <laughs> well the last time I tried to get home from my local railway station on 
the public bus. I had to let four go before I could get on one because one didn't have a ramp. One, the ramp was nailed down. One, there was a pushchair in the wheelchair space. The driver wouldn't let me on. And one just didn't stop. Can you imagine able-bodied people having to let four buses go before they could get a one? If I want to go and get a train, and I've booked a seat on a train, I can't go and get a bus because it might take me two hours before a bus turns up that I can get one. While we're talking about trains, if you've got a journey that involves more than one train, you book assistance, you get to the first where you're changing trains, that you're met off the train uh, with the assistance you've booked. That works fine. You're taken to um, the platform where your second train is going from, and the words you don't want to hear are sit there and we'll be back for you to put you on your next train. Because believe me, I've been there. My train has come in, my train has gone, and I'm still sat on the platform. I'm going to just say it's it's potluck. It really is. You know, I've had experiences where I booked assistance and it's worked smoothly. I've had instances where I have booked assistance and there hasn't they haven't had any record. I've had ones where I haven't booked assistance and the staff have been amazing. It is completely potluck, but again, it goes back to attitudes. Attitude is everything with disability and also understanding why that assistance is so important. It's not just because, you know, I need someone to point out which train is my train or whatever. It's the uh, the whole process and the whole journey. Buses is is a different kettle of fish when you're on public transport with a bus. Because again, you're creating that confrontation between us and them when there's potentially a pram in the space. You know, I've been there where I've had to wait for a bus and then I've had to let the bus go. Um, and that's frustrating. Because you don't want to be the one that's the talking point if you end up on that bus. So there is a long way to go. Um, again, I'm not sure what the answer is because the infrastructure just isn't there. Um, I do think that if you challenge attitudes and do a lot more in terms of if you're not just putting somebody in in a room to give them awareness training and then it's um, a 45-minute PowerPoint and then they're done. It's more about continuously reminding people why we need to be kinder to each other as well. I don't know. Maybe that sounds a bit too fanciful for this. Thank you to Joe, Jeff and Mark. There are seven football clubs located in Greater Manchester and much more down the Football League. However, less than 60% of Greater Manchester train stations have step-free access, meaning many football supporters cannot use the Greater Manchester rail system to go and watch a football game. Manchester United supporter and access rights campaigner Nathaniel Yates is trying to change that one step-free access at a time. Nathaniel, what what motivated you to to get involved in this and, and kind of raise this challenge to your local authorities to improve this? Because I had a bad experience at my local train station, Reddish North, one day. I was power walking for the train and the stairs there 
and I needed to go to the other side to get the train into a place called Romley to go to my job and I fell over and I thought how annoying it was that there were stairs there. Then I started thinking years later, you know what, somebody should do something about this because there's wheelchair users and parents with buggies and people walking impairments that can't really access the station. How they're supposed to get across the stairs, I don't know. But um, I wrote to my local MP, Andrew Gwynn, and he informed me out of the 96 train stations in Greater Manchester, um, less than half of them had step three access. So how surprising was it to hear that then? Really, really surprising, really. You don't, you know, like you think in the 23rd century, train stations would be up to standard and step three accessible, fully accessible, really, but they're not. Do you think this is having an impact on disabled supporters attending football in Greater Manchester? I think it might do, yeah. I think if, you, if you're going through a certain station and you had to get off a, a local train station, because that's what got, what got the problems with. The bigger ones like Stockport are okay because they've got lift, but if you ever had to change for whatever reason, it'd be so difficult. You've been getting a lot of attention. You, you did a, a video with the Greater Manchester Mayor, Andy Burnham. How was that? And did he promise you anything regarding support? Well, Andy Burnham, one of his pledges was he wanted to make all train stations fully accessible in Greater Manchester, step three accessible. So I was in a meeting with him because we have a disabled people's panel in Manchester and I got invited to one of the meetings and I said, what could you do to further my campaign? Because he's known me for a few years. He's known about my campaign for a few years and he said he'd do a travel journey with me. So I had to uh, meet him at 6.50 at my local trade station, Reddish Nor, get up really early to meet him. And... Uh, then we just we just went round and we, we highlighted some of the issues and where it wasn't fully accessible. And we were saying about them being Victorian train stations. And then we went um, on his metro link that he actually has the say over. And that's, that's pretty good. So is it a case that a lot of these train stations are, <clears throat> pardon me, my voice is going, a lot of these train stations, who, who owns them? Network Rail actually have the responsibility of um, the upkeep. But they say there's not enough money in the budget and in the pot. There's only enough money for the top 10 stations, priority stations. Um, But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lobby MPs to speak up in Parliament about this so we can get more money in the pot to make more stations fully accessible. So have you seen any changes at all since you started your campaign? No, but what I have seen is more awareness as well. Mm-hmm. People are more willing to work with you now. So I've had a meeting with Network Rail um, because I called them out on the Becky Want show, BBC Radio Manchester. They're not doing enough. And they responded in 10 minutes on my Twitter account after that. You know, when you call a public organisation out. And their argument is essentially there's not enough funding. We We would like to improve it, but we don't have enough funding. Is that correct? Yeah. That's essentially the argument. How do you use the public transport in Manchester? Because you are a Man United fan. Um, you go to Old Trafford regularly. Do you use public transport to get back and forth from Old Trafford? I actually don't because my dad takes me. To be honest, I've took, I've took a few journeys from Levenjoom, which isn't fully accessible. There's stairs outside the station. You couldn't get a wheelchair user up there. So that's off limits to people as well. That, that wouldn't be accessible you couldn't even get up to one side of the station so if you're a wheelchair user who lives in that area i'm guessing going to an away game or going to a game at manchester united is near impossible 
if you don't have access to private transport? It, yeah, it would be nearly impossible by train if you lived in Levenshume and your wheelchair user, or you lived in Redbury and your wheelchair user. You'd probably have to go to another station. They should pay through a taxi fee of the station to get you to the next available station. But my argument is that if you put in a permanent solution, a wheelchair ramp or a lift, in the long term, it'll cost you less money than always having to pay out the taxes, really. Because if you put in one permanent solution, it's there for years. And we live in an ageing population where people are going to get disabilities as they grow older. So the the problem isn't going to go away. And the government are encouraging people to use transport to get into work, to cut down on their car emissions and everything. But I'm guessing if it's not accessible, then... People can't use it. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being bad and 10 being good, how do you rate the British public transportation system when it comes to ease of accessibility for disabled people? Um, About 3 out of 10. Not very good at all. So if there's a disabled supporter um, listening to this or disabled person listening, listening to this who has an inaccessible train station currently, what advice would you give them to try and bring about change? Contact your local MP first. Raise public awareness of the station and get people to fight with you. If you think of an idea, like you might start off your own petition in your own area. So like I'm doing one for Manchester. Somebody wants to do one in Birmingham. Do your research. Look at like the stations that aren't accessible and try and get as many politicians to stick up for you as possible. Nathaniel, thank you very much. That was great. Pleasure. You can sign Nathaniel's petition and watch Nathaniel's campaign video with Andy Burnham via the link in the episode description. As you have heard earlier on from Mark, Jeff and Joe, trying to source a bus that has some accessible features can be a difficult task. However, Jumbalance Trust Vice Chair Richard Field is trying to change that. Richard, some people might have some idea, but uh, could you please give a little bit more information about uh, Jumbalance Trust and what it is that you do and how it came to existence? Yes, sure. So the Jumbalance Trust uh, exists to make travel possible for people with um, severe illness or serious disability. It's existed for many years and we provide day trips for special schools, football clubs, uh, wheelchair football, away days for Premier League clubs. We do holidays, holidays in the UK. Uh, holidays in Europe, including adaptive skiing, for example. And to make this possible, we have two very special uh, purpose-built vehicles called Jumbulances, which have all the facilities, including stretcher beds, wheelchair lift, accessible washroom and so on, that makes travel for people with a disability possible and and safe and comfortable. So how did you find yourself working with the Trust? So I I volunteered uh, many years ago to, to travel on a holiday. Love what they did. I've got a real passion for for what the trust tries to accomplish with people with with disability and i've just stayed involved and continue to travel on many trips uh, and work moving the trust forward reaching more people so at what point did you realize that there was a a, a need for fans to want to use jumbalance for football and going to away games so we, we started a partnership with premier league and worked very closely with their communities team and they identified that uh, people with disabilities were often sort of ignored or left out of, of mainstream transport and wanted to help. Particularly fans with a disability could travel together, you know, safely and comfortably in the same way that the rest of the supporters did and almost, you know, how the how the team travel. So they partnered with us and said we wanted to start using the Jumbulance for away matches and we were happy to oblige. 
And it's been great for, for fans to be able to travel like that. So one of the biggest issues we at the charity uh, regarding match day travel to a live sporting event is the lack of accessible coaches. In your opinion, what should an accessible bus look like and uh, why do you think there seems to be so few of them the regulations that exist only go so far with regards to accessibility so typically an accessible coach can only take perhaps one maybe two wheelchairs there's no access to washroom or or kitchen facilities typically and really we wanted to go much further than that with accessibility and make uh, a vehicle that was fully accessible for a large group so that it became the norm rather than the exception. And that's really successful for us with regards to the trips that we do. We wanted to extend that to to football trips too. So this may sound like a, a blunt question, but does Jumblance have the capacity to fill the void of the lack of accessible buses that seems to be wanted for disabled supporters? Well, we're a small charity, so we don't have enormous capacity and our vehicles are very specialist. So no, it's fair to say we don't have an enormous capacity but we do have capacity to do a lot more match days and particularly through the winter months when the football is is going full steam and people aren't typically on holiday that's a great opportunity to go and uh, to go and visit a, an away club so is it possible to let's say like national express or megabus uh, to make their buses more accessible i mean i'm not saying to the accessibility of a jumbulance but like could national express tomorrow make their coaches more accessible for disabled supporters so they can be used for away match day travel? They couldn't really. What National Express and, and Megbus and Flixbus and mainstream operators are conforming to is a regulation rather than a need. So it wouldn't be easy for them, probably not cost-effective for them, to make their vehicles as accessible, say, as ours are, because they need to carry you know, kind of 50 people in most cases, whereas we carry half of that. So it wouldn't be a simple thing to do, unfortunately. So when you say regulation, are you saying this is from government themselves and need to essentially write it into law that all buses need to be converted so a certain percentage of, let's say, wheelchair users can get on a traditional bus? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's some regulations called PSVAR, Public Service Vehicle Access Requirements, which say that um, all Buses and coaches on certain activities uh, need to be accessible, but it's only accessible up to a point. So one wheelchair, for example, and it doesn't say anything about being able to take five or six wheelchairs or have access to a washroom or anything like that. So it's a great step, but really it's only a, a small step. So do you think we take accessibility regarding travel seriously in this country? Um, are, are, essentially, are disabled people being left behind regarding public transport? I, th- I think they are. I-, I think they are being left behind. I think they've been left behind in, in many ways, but transport is is one of them. And it, it comes down to a-, a charity to provide a holiday provision, for example, um, which really a person with a disability ought to be able to expect. Um, these are people who can't fly. Trains aren't easy. A National Express coach isn't the easiest solution for them. And as many people have said, it's our environment which makes us disabled, not not the disability. So what one thing do you think could be done today to, to improve accessibility on, on uh, public transport? A nice big grant to Jumbulance to um, <laughs> give us some more vehicles would be great. I think it needs to be more about the norm rather than the exception so that accessibility is built into everything that we do, transport included, but it goes further than that. But particularly that, Rather than it being a uh, a law that's pressed onto people 
and they have to just conform to the best of their abilities. But it just is is baked into everything that we do from the start. I'm asking everyone on this podcast to to, to do this on a scale of one to ten, one being bad and ten being good. How how do you rate the British transportation system when it comes to ease of access for disabled people? I think you would probably say you might scratch between three and a four. It's not awful, but it could be a lot better. So the people who you, you take on, on the jumblance, I mean, what, what's their perception of, of public transport when you talk to them, particularly in football and sport when they're travelling to a sporting game? For some, I think they could use public transport, whether that's trains or, or other coaches. Um, for many of the people that we take, public transport is absolutely out of the question. It's not really achievable to take a power chair. You can't take luggage with you. You can't operate independently. So I think it's out of reach for many people, both UK and abroad, particularly, say, for a football match. I think there are people who are not travelling at all because that facility doesn't exist. I mean, it's quite damning to say that there's a certain section of, of the public cannot travel because the, the infrastructure is not there for them. In, in 2021, that still people who are being discriminated against just because of their disability that they can't go to a game. I agree with you. I think it's 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 a real shame. Um, you know, we should be living in a, an all inclusive um, society. You know, this is not about making things different for people with a disability. This is about including them in society, and they should be able to go to a football match or or any other sporting event or to have a holiday. Particularly, be able to go to to watch a a football match that's not a right but everybody should have the opportunity so over the past few weeks the media have been focusing a lot on the lack of hgv drivers and um we've heard from some supporters where drivers have decided to to, to bus drivers have decided to go and do hgv driving because the wages have increased massively is this a worry for you for you and and can you see it become a potential issue for the bus industry as a whole and and that therefore Disabled supporters might not even have the drivers to even drive the buses that have been made more accessible. I think it's a very real problem. You know, clearly there's a shortage of drivers full stop. Um, so I think the bus and coach industry is seeing exactly the same as the, uh, the goods and freight. Um, it was highlighted more with regards to fuel shortages, clearly. But nevertheless, that has a knock-on effect. Because as you say, if the hauliers will pay more than the coach industry, then it's going to cause a bigger problem. Um, it's not lost on us that you know we obviously need skilled drivers to to drive our vehicles, and I think that's going to have a, an effect across the whole industry. And how much is there a need for drivers to to be trained regarding disability? I think that's a really critical point. And I mean, what we say about our the role of our drivers on a jumbulance is that the actual driving of the vehicle is about forty percent of what they do in terms of the skill they need. You could teach people. To, to drive a bus, what you find it more difficult to teach them is how to work with somebody with a disability, how to speak to them in the right way, how to look after them in the right way, how to have that empathy and understanding. That is is almost priceless, and that's really really important. Whether that the experience that people with a disability see from travelling on the likes of National Express and Megabus, I couldn't comment, but it's very very important to us um, because. Just the driving is only a very small part of what they have to do. So anyone who wants to find out more information regarding Jumblance can find a link in the episode description of this podcast. But Richard, we managed to get through this interview, which is a miracle. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Lovely to speak to you. Good to talk to you too. Stay well.
Thank you so much to all my guests on today's podcast. That's it for this month. If you know someone you think would enjoy this podcast, please forward this and pass episodes to them. Please check out the Level Playing Field website, levelplayingfield.org.uk to find out more about the charity's work and go sign up to be a free member of Level Playing Field as well so you're never out of the loop. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next month. Bye-bye.